Advocate Chiklin Fick, thank you so much for joining us here on Ubuntu Radio. Really appreciate for you to join us. An important meeting, stakeholder engagement was uh, convened by the Department of International Relations and Cooperation on these important issues of uh, cybercrime, but the UN Convention, this important uh, treaty uh, that the process already started on cybercrime. And um, as an expert on cybercrime, where is South Africa at? What are some of the issues um, that you have observed as far as cybercrime in the continent? in the country as well, which direction should South Africa be taking? This is quite a huge task ahead. Thank you very much for the opportunity to address you about something that I'm very passionate about. So in the first instance, the good news was that we do have a good legal framework. And that framework, consisting of different acts and legislation in South Africa, okay. can meet the requirements of the convention. The bad news is that we have a huge problem with cybercrime in South Africa. So that affects government, it affects businesses, and of course individuals. So the need for this discussion, this multidisciplinary and multi-stakeholder discussion is extremely important because it brings converging views from government and the private sector together. Now if we look at our South African legislation, we always say the proof is in the pudding. Unfortunately, this is also true when it comes to legislation. We have got world-class legislation when it comes to cybercrime. The act that I'm specifically referring to is the Cybercrimes Act 19 of 2020, which came into partial operation on the 1st of December 2021. So it's still very fresh and very new. But it basically contains that whole basket of things that we would need to say, we tick the box in terms of what is envisaged with the convention. The act not completely in operation yet. Uh, some of the provisions that are in the convention that we have in the Cybercrimes Act, such as mutual assistance, uh, we are awaiting uh, implementation of those provisions. Mm. And those will help us to also exchange electronic or digital evidence when it comes to not only cyber crimes, but also our normal crimes that are facilitated by means of or where technology is used. Yes, that whole thing about cyber enabled and cyber dependent. Your cyber dependent, remember, is the ones that are aimed at the computers. Those are your hacking and your cracking type of offenses, your denial of service uh, types of attacks where cyber enabled, I always explain to people is the old types of crimes like fraud and forgery. People don't go and steal your ID book anymore and make a photocopy. They use computers. They steal your identity and now computers and ICT infrastructure enables them to commit their traditional offenses. And that's where the word cyber enabled crime comes from. So your technology aspect becomes part of the modus operandi of those crimes. And if we tie that into the discussion on the um, convention, the whole thing was that everybody's happy for the cyber dependent, the true, as they are called, the true cyber crimes, the ones that we see in the movies, that they, yes, those ones where you sit with the square glasses in front of the computer screens and everybody's typing away, everybody's happy that those are included. But the argument is, should we now give recognition broadly to these cyber enabled, these old criminals that have now decided to move their criminal ways 
to use modern technology to commit their offences. And the whole discussion there is, should we limit it? Should it be open? Mm. Or, like we have in the convention, talking about cyber theft, cyber fraud, I also made mention that something that I feel they should have included was cyber extortion. The reason for cyber extortion, of course, ransomware. Remember, you can interfere with the system. I can block you to access it. And interference is addressed. Mm. But it becomes a totally different crime if I obstruct you from accessing your system and I ask you for a few Bitcoin. So that is two different criminal acts. The one is the interference with your systems. The other one is I am extorting money from you so that I restore your system. Mm. So very interesting, very robust discussions that took place today. And I think one of the lessons that I said in my final comments was we, many people don't know that we actually do not have a universally accepted definition of cybercrime. Do you know that? No. One would have thought that because we have spoken to a number of years now with the advent of technology, we already have uh, such clear definitions as well. So it will have to be uh, universally accepted where countries need to sit down. It looks like we still, have, we still have a long road ahead. I would advise against having a definition for cybercrime because what are we doing? We are criminalizing conduct. It's much easier to say instead of trying to see is cybercrime now a crime that's committed with a computer, it's much easier to say that I criminalize your conduct. The fact that you are gaining unlawful access to my system, the fact that you are unlawfully intercepting my data or interfering, as we said, with ransomware, you're interfering with my access to a system and you're demanding money, it is the criminal conduct that we are criminalizing. And ICT becomes the tool that these people can also use. We're not criminalizing the tool. Mm. We are criminalizing conduct. And by doing that, we don't need that whole decision of what is cybercrime all about? Because in each country, the word cybercrime means something different. When we, for example, because I deal with a lot of um, cyber investigations, if I have to speak to my international counterpart, I'll ask him, is it a crime to interfere with data? Mm. I'm not going to ask him for the definition of cybercrime. I'm going to say to him, this specific act, this thing that the criminal did, is it also a crime in your country? Is it a crime to unlawfully access Dirko systems and to look at the DG's emails? Yes, no, it's definitely a crime. I don't need a definition for cybercrime because I'm criminalizing what the person has actually done. So two offenses there, I'm intercepting the DG's emails mm -hmm. and I unlawfully gained access to the system because I wanted to go and commit another cybercrime. Mm. Access to Personal Information Act, I mean, those, those also need to come into play. What would that mean now for, as you suggested, to say we do have this multi digital companies who are almost running our digital world, you know, where do they feature in this? Where should they feature? What was the workshop explored in terms of these big companies, these big tech companies that's driving communications, that's driving the flow of information uh, as well? 
What is their responsibility there? Are they included in that? Are they participating? They definitely jumped at the opportunity to be here today, which is a good thing, because cyber security and cyber crime is not a me and you problem, it's a us problem. And this is where we need to collaborate, because all my, as a prosecutor, I would say, my, where's my digital evidence that I need to take to court in order for me to convict somebody? And that lies mostly in the private sector. They are generating this information. And they also need to be aware of what to look out for and how to secure their environment. Because if they secure their environment, we are going to have less instances of cybercrime. And as I said, it's not just businesses. It's also every single citizen in this country that needs to be aware of what is the responsibilities and the risks of using technology. In my last slide, I said that cyberspace in South Africa is like a young democracy. We want, we want, we want. We have these rights and rights and rights. We demand, but we forget that we also have responsibilities. And one of those responsibilities is to be safe and secure in our actions. Also, to be aware of what the risks are. Just take that scenario and think, we are so used to crime in South Africa. Would you walk into a very dodgy area with a see-through plastic bag with a, with a million rand in it? Would you do that? No. You wouldn't. But yet, we go and transact online in an environment that we haven't checked if that's a secure platform. It says it's, sec it says it's secured and you believed it, but my not has be secured. Do we actually check? No. How many people do check? So yes, I think um, the benefit of the convention is it's a borderless crime. And with a borderless crime, the hamper that law enforcement currently has is it's bound by borders, even in our own legislation, because you can't interfere with the sovereignty of another country. Mm. Law enforcement needs to address cyber criminals that can move freely across borders and with the speed of light. Mm. And how do we find mechanisms in which we can cooperate so that we are not on our hind feet anymore, but that we actually take the fight to the criminals? Um, Advocate uh, Jacqueline Fick, let's talk about, is there a, do you feel that South Africa should have its own agenda? Because some other countries might have developed, already developed some sort of legislation. Ours is quite new, as you've said. Some countries might be too advanced, right? And we're heading to the UN Convention, the treaties. Do you feel that we need a, a South African position, an African position on this, or it should just be universal because digital is digital no matter where you are? For UN member states, when they are deliberating like this, will there be South Africa-specific problems as far as cyber crimes and, and, and its concern, or an African perspective of some sort? Where is the agenda there? or we are just going to add our views in a global problem, so to speak? You do need a global understanding of what cybercrime is and how we should be reacting. Each country has unique problems, and the same with regions. And that is why I'm advocating for the fact that we need 
a global position, mm -hmm. but we also need an African perspective, something that is true to our continent, because we do have unique problems. Now, the interesting thing is South Africa has such a major problem with cybercrime. We're a cybercrime hub. And some of the other countries up in Africa are famous for their skills mm. to commit cybercrime. Yeah. You've got something called 419 scams. Yeah. Do you know where that came from? Mm. From the section in the Nigerian penal code yeah. that deals with cybercrime. That's where 419 scams come from. So we do have unique problems. And I do think that besides the UN Convention, we do need to Africanize our approach to cybercrime and cybersecurity. Because remember, we already have now um, the Malabu Convention, and the Malabu Convention already addresses cybersecurity, data privacy, and your procedural measures to address cybercrime. So, but we need to do things more effectively and a bit quicker. Just look how long it took just to get the Malabu Convention up and going. So, if I were to answer your question, I'd say a bit of both. Advocate, let's talk about the, you know, the prosecution now on a global scale. The UN body, is it capable? How, how would, uh, where is it sitting at? Where you see it being prosecuted? Um, is it, does it go to the International Court of Justice? Where, 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 you know, who is the arbiter Okay, so the judge and the jury. <laughs> what we have is each case needs to be considered on its own merits. Some cases have such an international implication. You can think of something like cyber warfare. That might be something that goes to an international forum. But usually how this happens in practice is you would look at what the jurisdiction um, requirements of a specific country is. Now let's take South Africa for an example. The Cyber Crimes Act makes provision for something called extraterritorial jurisdiction. And what that means is our courts can hear matters that happened here, accused were arrested here, um, or it could be like with certain of the government departments, recent cases, that the attack came from outside. But our citizens are affected. It could even be that a diplomatic or a government facility in another country, which is a piece of South Africa, is affected. And our courts here in South Africa still can hear that matter, whether the attack came from outside or not. And that's where the extraterritorial jurisdiction comes from. Now, to deal with a borderless crime, you also need something like that. The decision, however, is usually taken for example, by the prosecutors that say, you know what, yes, the South African courts can hear it, but let's rather extradite the guy uh, or the girl um, to the States because all the witnesses are there and our investigation is completed instead of hearing the case here. So there is always consideration. And as I say, the place where a matter will be heard is usually dependent on what would be best for the case, and there is a discussion about it. Let's, let's, let's come back now to your office uh, as your of, of, uh, um, Vistrat Solutions. What do, you, what do you do? All things cyber at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> so currently I am assisting the police. I am the 
expert, local expert for actually the um, FCDO office of the UK. So the UK have invested quite heavily in assisting South Africa to develop our cybercrime capabilities. So at present, I'm busy writing a lot of training programs for the police that has been facilitated by, by the UK government. Um, I am also busy drafting the cybersecurity bill. Remember, we, I, I said um, it was Siamese twins before, and then uh, they split the Siamese twins and they left the poor cybersecurity bill on life support, whilst the Cyber Crimes Act is now, I think, just past its nappy stages and running around Something or crawling. Up. Yes, yeah. it's, it's, it's starting to get up. So very much involved in that. I also advise on cyber risk assessments. So this risk component is very important. Um, and I try and do as much public awareness as I can fit in because I believe the more we make people aware of good cybersecurity measures and to identify cyber crimes, the less victims we will have. Let's conclude now. You do public engagement. We're at a public diplomacy forum now. South Africans, are we cyber aware in terms of what's happening online? Are we that careful? What is, you've already said we are a hub, but are you getting a sense that South Africa are slowly getting the grip in terms of what's happening online and also the way to prevent, to prevent it as well? How are you educating people and what's your, been your, your observation in the country? So the use of technology is very good. Uh, everybody these days has a cell phone, and we don't use cell phones for drink drink uh, expeditions anymore. It's worse than a woman's handbag. Our whole life is on that phone. But are we aware of how to securely use it? How many of us actually update the antivirus software on that phone? Mm. We do it for our computers. We At least we've learned that. Yeah. So for me, coming back to my analogy with a young democracy, we want technology, we want to use it, we want data must fall, um, we want all these things. But our level of using it responsibility, uh, responsible is definitely there's room for improvement. And I think this is where concepts like digital citizenship also comes in to say, we need to know that there's rights. Yes, we can do things, but we have the responsibility to also educate ourselves. And sometimes we wouldn't know that we need education. This is where government also comes in to say we need to take care of our citizens or in this case, probably our netizens <laughs> and to tell them there's certain things that you should know and which you shouldn't do. So Again, coming back to stress to say cybersecurity and addressing cybercrime and not falling victim is a combined effort between government, private sector, and every citizen out there. Let me thank you so much for your time, Angelique. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. Thank you so much.